Hey, Travelpreneur, this is Nicole Barrett, sales and marketing expert to top hotels, resorts, and travel brands around the world. In my over 15 years in the business, I have seen a real need among travel pros like you to create a unique brand and market themselves and their businesses properly. My goal with this podcast? To help you navigate this world of travel marketing with direct, simple, and effective strategies so you can attract, engage, and convert an audience of your ideal clients and grow that wildly successful travel business that you dream of. So go ahead, get comfy, and stick around for some tips, stories, and maybe even some laughs. Here we go. Hey, Travelpreneurs, how are you? I hope you're doing well. Are you feeling a little spring bounce in your step like I am? (laughs) It must be the weather. Well, I hope your spring is off to a great start. And I'm not sure what your spring vacations are looking like or what they looked like, uh, because I know some are earlier than, than some. But wherever you went, wherever you are going, and wherever you're not going, I hope that whatever you're doing, you're happy, you're safe, you're comfortable, all of that good stuff. Because all I can think about right now is Caribbean travel. I don't know about you, but... I have been to the Caribbean in a while and it's weighing on me like I really need to get back. So, you know, this conversation here that I had with Brian Major, a travel journalist talking about the Caribbean and cruising, got me all up in my feelings. <laughs> but I cannot wait for you to listen to it. So in this episode of the Hey Travelpreneur podcast, like I said, I speak with travel journalist Brian Major, who's written for multiple uh, publications, including Afar, Forbes, Condé Nast, and USA Today, among many others. And listen to this. This is the best title I have ever heard. Brian was named the Caribbean Tourism Organization's 2015 Inner Circle King. What an honor. I love, love that name. And this Inner Circle King Award was given for trade journalism. And so who better to talk to about Caribbean travel and cruise travel what that looks like now, and what that will look like in the future. I had such a great time having this conversation with Brian. We could have talked for hours, but of course we didn't. So without further ado, let's talk about Caribbean travel and cruise travel and what that looks like for you as well as consumers with Brian Major. Let's get right into it. Hey, Brian, welcome to the Hey Child Opener podcast. How are you? Thanks for having me, Nicole. It's, it's great to be here with you. Oh, it's lovely to have you. So listeners can't see you, but you're wearing a beautiful bright shirt, yellow shirt that is just making me like feeling all the Caribbean sunshine energy there. So thank you for that. You're welcome. I'm, I'm just trying to create some of the vibe for, for both of us. I know the listeners can't see me, but I, I think they can feel the vibe. Yes. And they'll definitely feel it when we, when we discuss some of these. Issues. Absolutely. Well, I'm feeling the vibe for sure. So thank you for bringing it today. Um, we're going to be addressing some of the Caribbean travel news topics as well as cruise news topics. And all of this is making me want to get away with the exception of Mexico. I haven't been to the Caribbean in a couple of years So this type of conversation here, I mean, like many of us, right? We haven't traveled in a while. So this conversation here is making me very, very, very excited. So first things first, though, uh, very exciting news. At the time of this recording, just a day or so ago, there uh, was some news from the cruise industry 
talking about uh, the reopening of cruises or the resailing. Is that even a word, Brian? Resailing of cruises this summer. So can we talk about that a little bit? What was the news and what does that look like for travel agents and cruises moving forward? Well, this is a critical topic for a couple of reasons. First thing you you should realize is that um, the Caribbean is the number one area of deployment for the cruise lines. Right. Um, Something like 50 to 60 percent of the capacity that the cruise lines have is deployed in the Caribbean most of the time. Mm. That part of the industry has suffered significantly with the pandemic shutdown. Right. Um, Most of their ships, as I think everyone knows, were idled for over a year. The CDC has control over the cruise line's ability to sail from ports like Miami, Jacksonville, Galveston, all of the U.S. ports that um, the cruise lines operate from. They need CDC approval, of course, right. to, to operate from. The CDC has tacitly approved um, the cruise line's operation or resumption of operation by November. Wow. The cruise lines are saying that we're the only part of the industry, of the hospitality industry, that isn't being allowed to operate right now. And there's an impasse, frankly. The CDC is making some noises like they will allow cruising in July, but the cruise lines say the current plan you have on the table is unworkable, it's unrealistic. We're beyond that. We've proven protocols because we're operating in other parts of the world, Uh but we just want to operate again this summer, <laughs> I think it's <laughs> imperative for them to operate this yes, summer yes. when, you know, families are traveling and they can resume safely. They're at an impasse. So these senators who are Florida senators, they're sponsoring legislation that would compel the CDC to, to make that happen in July. I just want to say that the, the real people that I think about when you go into this uh, situation are the and I've worked for the Cruise Industry Association. And I've covered the cruise industry as a reporter, been on both sides. There are thousands of people who work in the U.S. on ships and in ancillary businesses that are connected to the cruise activity all over the U.S. who have been without their jobs and their livelihoods for a year. Right. That's a long time. I don't know how many of us could go for a year without our regular jobs and trying to figure out how you're going to make ends meet. These are people who are in unions. They're longshoremen. They're dock workers mm-hmm. and people in restaurants they have kids and they have right. mortgages like every, like all of us so right. um and and cruises on a whole i mean you know yes hotels have been impacted yes airlines have been impacted but i would think in the travel industry the cruises or the cruise companies more than anything or anyone else has seen um the biggest impact because there's just there are no sailings whatsoever right at least in the united states i know there have been a few under different umbrellas and names in, in Europe for different reasons. Uh, but, you know, in the U.S. and in the across the Caribbean, it's been it's been a total shutdown. So I would assume after a year, year and a half, it's like it's like go time. And from what I understand from that particular news is, yes, it's Florida, but I believe there's a senator or a couple of senators in Alaska that's also involved because Alaska is also a big cruise destination for the U.S., right? Alaska is as big as it is in Florida, the cruise industry. It may be equally big. It is equally big or even bigger for Alaska because mm-hmm. all of these seasonal tourism activity in Alaska based on the summer season, which is upcoming, is something like 60 to 70 percent of the state's income. Right. It is a huge, huge industry in Alaska. And to go another year with interrupted or with uh, 
you know, there will be interruptions. Right. Even if the cruise lines resume, you won't have the full bloom of itineraries you had before in Alaska or in the Caribbean. It's going to be a slow ramp up. Some of the cruise lines have, have sold their, some of their ships, so they won't have as many uh, cruises available. But uh, yes, uh, there's an Alaska uh, legislator who is also part of that, um, that the group who's mm-hmm. pursuing the lawsuit against CDC. Right. And uh, it's funny because the cruise lines have worked before this with Caribbean destinations for a long, long time. I think they've, they've arrived at protocols that both destinations and the cruise lines feel are workable and do right. the job. I don't think either one wants an outbreak. Right. So what you want about the cruise industry, I don't think it suits their purposes in any way. No, they to have don't. To outbreak and or to have. You, you're right. And if anyone's going to put together a proper plan, it's going to be them. In a, in a recent article um, that you wrote uh, entitled Caribbean Cruise Destinations Launch COVID-19 Initiatives, you talked about some of the protocols and the practices that many of the Caribbean islands or ports slash destinations are, are putting together in preparation for this relaunch of the cruise industry. Can you talk about that a little bit? You mentioned some things like the health app, the cruise connection, et cetera. Yeah, I'm happy to. Um, you know, because cruise lines largest area of deployment is the Caribbean, mm-hmm. the Florida Caribbean Cruise Association, a, a association of cruise lines uh, that works closely with Caribbean governments, they've been working throughout the year on these protocols. And I've learned listening to some of them talk about what they've done each island has to look at its own unique citizenry and physiology and relative size to come up with protocols that fit not just the region, right. but that particular island. Mm-hmm. Anguilla is much different from Barbados right. in terms of the size and its people and mm-hmm. its connection, how close the port facility yeah. is to town, even factors of, of those sorts. So... um I understand that cruise lines have worked with a limited number of destinations that they will be sailing from and are sailing from starting this summer um, to, to make sure there are health and safety protocols in place for workers, for everybody who comes in contact with the cruise. Because there's a, there's a lot of people, obviously, who come in contact with the ship when it comes into port, not right. just the passengers, but people who process the tolls, customs agents, and, um, and you know, people who support provide supplies. I understand they've worked conscientiously to to come up with the right protocols. And, you know, I want to make the point that cruise lines, as they've shown, they want to operate from U.S. ports. Um, That's where they're going to get the most bang for the buck. People can drive to U.S. ports. They don't even have to take a plane um, if they want to. But cruise ships are not hotels. They're not destination. They're mobile. So if they have no other place to operate from, they will go to Caribbean destinations and like Barbados, where they're going to be sailing from this summer, and oh. the Bahamas, which they will be sailing from this summer. Oh, lovely. St. Martin is another um, port um, that has modern cruise facilities, a full, mm-hmm. you know, big air connection, a, an airport with, with lots of connectivity. Yeah. Um, the cruise lines will increasingly have to look to those destinations to operate from if they can't find a workable solution with CDC. Um, right. I mean, that's where it stands. You know, honestly, I mean, I really believe that in the future, the cruise ships will be more clean than they were years ago, right? So I honestly believe that um, travel agents should feel comfortable, are going to feel more comfortable booking a cruise with these new protocols in place, even post COVID, than they've ever been in the past, right? 
because the cruise lines, you know, being out of business for a year, year and a half, or however long it's going to be by that time, and it, you know, needing to recoup this money, knowing that moving forward, they can't have any outbreaks whatsoever, COVID outbreaks or any other outbreaks and that they've seen or had in the past. Like it has to be, you know, to recoup a lot of this money moving forward, it has to be spot on. And also too, you have to match that comfort level of being able to book a cruise and to go on a cruise. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I've never been on the cruise with the exception of like a day cruise or a catamaran cruise. I've never spent the night on a cruise. And for this reason being one of them, I've never felt completely safe. But even now I'm looking at it like, hmm, I think I would probably book a cruise in 2022, you know, versus booking it in, you know, 2013 or something like that. So that's exciting. That's exciting to, to know. That is interesting. That is really interesting to hear you say that you're, you're more comfortable. And I, I, and I understand the sentiment that you feel more comfortable. And look, one thing I'm going to say is um, the fact that you have never taken a cruise, that makes you the majority of American people. Wow. Um, about one third of American people have ever taken a cruise. Hmm. The vast majority of people have never taken a cruise, don't know what it's like, don't really have an understanding of what the onboard atmosphere is like, but maybe they're learning a little bit through this episode. And I'll tell you three things. One is that um, after a 30 year plus <laughs> travel career, cruise ships are the cleanest travel environments. Mm. You can't before any of this happened. They're right. the cleanest, cleanest travel environments. You cannot walk around a cruise ship, any cruise ship, modern cruise ship, without seeing somebody cleaning something <laughs> at all times. Even before COVID, betting in cruise ships has changed twice a day. Right. Twice a day, every day. Cabins are clean twice a day, every day. Um, I've never been in a dirty cruise cabin or a, mm -hmm. uh, maybe one that had not been cleaned yet. Um, but if I compare that to some of the hotel rooms, I've opened the door and oh. checked into and looked at <laughs> And walked out of <laughs> it was there is no comparison okay yes. <laughs> that we're supposed to be okay right so um that's that's one thing they're the clean but you know most people don't know that i, I also, agree that's where travel agents come in right they're the ones who are going to provide the knowledge they're going to tell people like nicole hey nicole you know what cruise ships are like um hotels there's there's different ones there's there's your four seasons and it's all different you know, permutations within that brand is probably one you may be comfortable aboard. And then one that may also, you're comfortable in the atmosphere, but it also goes to some places you always wanted to visit. Right. You're only going to visit for a day or so, but you get a taste of it and you decide whether, you know what, I might want to come back here. That's, That's one of the best things. You know, I, I agree with you. Now, first and foremost, that one third number, like only one third of Americans have been in a cruise. That is mind blowing to me. I've never heard that stop before. So to know that, it's kind of like, hmm, okay, you're right. And I'm, I'm going to get to um, some thoughts and ideas on how, if, if you want to share them, I'd love that, how travel agents or travel pros can get to someone like me. Now, I will preface that by saying I actually am in the process of booking a cruise for 2023 or 20th wedding anniversary, right? For you to lay it out for me and to say, okay, Nicole, here are the types of cruises that are out there. And here are the protocols that are taken, not just COVID protocols, but general safety, health, cleanliness protocols. Let's take a pin and talk about that for a little bit. 
What are your thoughts? Can you share with me how can travel agents sell a cruise to someone like me pre-river cruise and booking, right? To be like, okay, Nicole, here's what you need to know to be able to go on a cruise comfortably. I mean, you shared some things about the bedding situation, the cleaning situation, um, all of that. But what about the mindset part of it? Great question. Yeah. The first thing a, a travel agent needs to do, and this is what we, this is what I learned a long time ago when I first started talking to travel agents or reporting on travel agents is what we call, what they call qualifying. What kind of vacation do you like? First of all, first thing we're going to find out, what kind of vacation do you like? What kind of person do you just want to relax and sit by the pool, have some drinks, go to dinner in the evening, have a nice dinner, see me a show, maybe spend a time, you, you gamble a little, you want to go to the casino, that's it. Going to have a drink after that, you're going to go to bed. Maybe you're one type of person. Maybe you're the type of person who, when you go on vacation, that, that's it. You're going to go all out. You don't want to relax at any time. You want to be active all the time. You want to shop. You want to see things. You want to do things. You want to always be challenged with new ideas, new information. That's another type of person. There are cruise vacations that are very different on different types of ships, big and small, Mm -hmm. that they go all over the world. Um, So you can go to any destination you can imagine, the African continent, uh, through the Suez Canal, where that ship was was trapped, anywhere. So (laughs) they'll give you that. That's a a whole different type of cruise, Brian. (laughs) Well, I actually took a cruise and I went through the Suez Canal um, (laughs) in the 1990s. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It was on what they call an expedition cruise ship. 300 passengers, much smaller than... um, than a, a carnival cruise ship, which would carry 2,000 passengers. But uh-huh. this is but very deluxe, very nice, yes. wonderful gourmet meals, um, educational lecturers um, who tell you about the region and the history of the region. There are all kinds of cruise styles, right. um, which most people, of course, don't mm-hmm. know. But the comfort factor, this is the challenge. When I worked for CLIA, the Cruise Industry Association, I was director of public relations, we called these things, barriers to trial, the thing that prevent people who have not taken a cruise from cruising right. have not changed. It's something they will be seasick, something they will feel confined, and some think that a cruise is just not for them, it's just for old people. Mm-hmm. Those are the main barriers to cruising. The thing I would say to you, Nicole, is talk to some of your colleagues. You have colleagues who've cruised. You have colleagues who work for cruise lines. You have people who you know who've taken cruises before, and if you have met a past cruiser, nine times out of 10, 9.5 times out of 10, yeah, oh, 10, they out, 10 enjoy. out of 10, 10 out of 10, they have nothing but awesome things to say for sure. I have to disqualify myself in some ways. I worked for the cruise lines. I report on cruises, but to yeah. me, it was always a fun, it was, a, <laughs> it's always been a fun vacation. I always have a great time. I'm the type who likes to go up on the top deck with a good book. Sit in the sun. Yeah. You know, if you've never done it, you don't know what it's like to be in the middle of the ocean. Right. You're in the middle of the ocean in every direction. You can see the horizon. You don't see anything but blue water. Oh, that sounds That is a feeling that most people have never experienced. Again, it's one third who have never experienced being at sea. Not on on the beach, not on the, but in the ocean. Just (laughs) looking at water. But you know what, to go back to the barriers that you mentioned, I I forget what the first one was, but the last two, you mentioned confinement, feeling confined, and you mentioned, um, you know, the perspective that cruises are for old people only, which 
I mean, the confinement stuff, I mean, I can handle that. But talking about those two things, and I, I always say to travel advisors, travel agents, travel pros, I always say that when you are trying to sell something, you have to address the barriers. You have to address the challenges. You can't just try to sell just the beautiful water or reading on the deck. You know, you've also brought up the barriers to, to selling because yeah. barriers to selling, you know, once you've crossed those, it's easier to get the sale. So, you know, someone selling yeah. cruises to me may not know that I personally have, I, you know, I have a mental block at some point, right? I did, I, I don't anymore, but I had a mental right. block. How do we now address the mental block and, do, and stop trying to sell me the cruise? Stop trying to sell me the culinary aspects of it. Stop trying to sell me the unlimited this. Don't sell me the tour. Let's address the mental block first and then put me on the ship and then sell me all the other stuff, right? So it's important to talk about those barriers for sure. And I'm going to tell you. Yeah, that's right. And the number one was, was seasickness. Um, mm-hmm. So number one was seasickness. So that is, that's a great example there. As you said, those things have to be addressed. You can't hide them. You want to adjust them first. And you're like, do you have vertigo? I mean, yes. do you have, you know, severe, yeah. you know, are you going to have a severe reaction to, right. you know, yeah. Do you never get on a on a roller coaster right. or even a merry-go-round? Ask this the questions. Not be your kind of vacation. Right. Yeah. Let's get that out of the way. And then the other ones again, because you're right. At some point, the customer will view the the travel advisor as as selling as trying to sell them something. If they're advising that, speak with your friends. Speak with some third parties. Mm-hmm. I'll give you some third parties to talk to. I'm the travel advisor. Don't take my word for it. See what they think about the vacation. Those are the ways you start to subtly overcome those barriers, those mental blocks and be like, you know what? Other people are doing it. My cousin did it. My sister, Nicole, I have to talk. My sister and my mom and one of my cousins, they cruise more than anybody. I, I'm joking with them last year. I'm like, you guys take more cruises than I do. I'm in the business. What is, <laughs> what is the deal? I mean, and um, I don't think any of them except for my mom, who's a retired school teacher. Yeah, she's been traveling a long time. But the, my sister and, and, and my cousin, you know, they're, they're professionals. They're still working. Um, but I don't think they've been taking cruises more than 10 or 15 years. I don't think they would have even considered it. They became aware. I don't even know if they became aware I was doing it, but they became aware it was a vacation choice and they, they fell in love. They and fell in love. I think they're a good example back. of what, you know, what the p- growth potential is. It, right. it is something... It is a great way also to see the Caribbean, which has many islands, many destinations that are that people don't realize are very diverse and different. And on a mm-hmm. cruise, you can see three or four of those at once in one week and yeah. decide, hey, you know, I might want to come back to St. Martin. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I didn't like uh, Nevis as much, but, you know, maybe I'll come back to uh, Grenada. Right. You know, so. and, and for me, um, for me, was it was the same thing for trying to see Europe, right? So I initially right. wanted to, I mean, once to go Great. river cruise for a very Power long up. time, but, you know, 10, 15 years ago, I was told you're too young to go on a river cruise. And I was actually told that by travel pros, <laughs> right? So, so that third barrier that yeah. you talked about is a real thing because I've experienced it. So in the back of my mind, I could have been cruising a long time ago, but I was told and believed that I was too young to go on a river cruise, Right. So, but now I'm, I'm changing that as we talked about, as we talked about before, right? So you're right. We have to address some of those barriers. So I absolutely, absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely love that. Love that. So what's your favorite um, Caribbean destination to cruise to? Oh, you know what? No one's really asked me that. People have asked me what's my favorite destination. What's my favorite cruise ship? I'm cruising. Um, the favorite Caribbean destination to cruise to. Um, 
you know, Barbados probably up there. Mm-hmm. Because Barbados I would assume really that high. the destination in and of itself, whether you cruise there or you fly there, you can you can have some of the same basic experiences on land, right? Depending on how long you're there for. But I would assume that from a cruiser's perspective, pulling up to a port and docking can can have its own form of excitement, right? So, and I'm thinking every port is probably different. So that's why I'm asking, what's your favorite one to cruise to? And that's Barbados is what you're saying. Yes, I am. And you make another great point in that pulling up to every cruise port is different. Um, Cayman Islands has uh, decided they are not going to accept more cruise ships for a while. They're going to restrict the number of cruise ships for, for a variety of reasons. But when you come to the Cayman Islands, you pull up 100 yards offshore, the ship anchors, and uh, they run uh, ferry tenders back and forth. Mm. Um, when you pull up to, um, uh, let's say, um, Jamaica in Falmouth, you usually arrive in the morning and you're pulling up to the beautiful sweeping landscape of the Trelawney district right. with the hills there. That's where you're saying Bolt is from. Right. Um, you see the hills that surround the town. Um, you can kind of see the town, which is a historic town in the forefront. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really um, um, something exceptional. Barbados, I liked because you come up to a classic port facility. It's a, it's a good new port facility. You come through it. Um, you see the island as you approach and you come through the area and you're, you're pretty close to um, the downtown area and, and some really great beaches. You can walk out of the cruise ship terminal and go to a beach and walk into town. And, you know, sometimes wow. you see vendors, street vendors uh, along the way, like you have in Boston here in yes. New York. You know how that is. We have yes. great street vendors. Yes. Same thing in a lot of Caribbean places. I mean, it's a, it's a way to get the flavor right away, Nice. you know, and, that's what I'm talking about. You you get an idea. Oh, wow. You know what? I'm, I'm going to be here like for seven hours, six hours, because any cruise ship port call, once in a while, they say overnight, but any cruise ship port call is really a day, a few hours. Mm-hmm. Um, but Barbados gives you that flavor right away. You know, oh, you know what? I, I'm probably going to come back here. Yeah. yeah. So Barbados would be one of my favorites, I have to say. Not sliding any of the others. I love all the others. Martinique's a good one because you come up to... Fort de France, and you come up to the historic fort. And Martinique, there's a, there's a in, Martinique in and of itself is a whole vibe. Um, but, you know, Jamaica, oh, for example, absolutely. you just mentioned Falmouth, right? Because, I mean, when you think of Jamaica, you think about going to Jamaica, you think about Montego Bay, you think about Ocho Rios, you know, you think about the, the normal cruise spots where the cruises come in. When, you know, being from Jamaica, when I first heard that we were building a port in Falmouth, to myself, I was like, Falmouth? Falmouth, of all the places, Falmouth, <laughs> right? I understand. Not yep. Discovery Bay, not, not Runaway Bay. Falmouth. Falmouth, Falmouth. What the hell? What's happening to Falmouth? What's happening to Falmouth? <laughs> Falmouth is like that dead zone that you drive through from Montego Bay to Ocho Rios, and you don't stop in Falmouth for any reason. Actually, right. maybe you, you want stop. a party. <laughs> you want a party, you stop in Falmouth Town, right? But, you know, and then you keep going after you that. Get, then you keep going after that. But, you know, but in talking to you and, of course, over the past few years, I've come to realize or remember the history behind Falmouth Town. Right. And like you said, when the cruise, when the ship pulls up and you see that whole town in the, in the background, I've never seen the town from a cruise ship, but I've seen it from a distance. Right. It, there is so much history there. And also because of that, 
because of the cruises coming in, it has allowed opportunities for entrepreneurs on the island and other other companies to bring more tourism to the Falmouth area, which in which in turn, both of us being you know of Caribbean heritage, it's important for the people, right? So I, you know what I was like, oh okay, all right, I guess Falmouth, no problem, we'll we'll deal with that. <laughs> but you know this is going to bring us seamlessly into a topic that you and I wanted to talk about, which is we're talking about building up the island and and making changes and transforming the Caribbean in different ways that's going to help companies, help, uh, help society, help little kids go to school, whatever it is. Um, let's talk a little bit about an article that you wrote, and we'll, we'll wrap up with this because this has some personal ties for me as well. You wrote an article about how Gordon Butch Stewart, okay. the former chairman for Sandals Resorts, who passed away a few months ago, how he transformed um, Caribbean tourism. So let's get into that a little bit because he's been what? 40 years or something, building so many Sandals resorts, starting with yeah. uh, that one there in Montego Bay, which is still one of my most favorite, favorite ones. Um, it's been a, and many of you listening already know that I spent 13 years at Sandals resorts, working alongside people like Adam and Butch Stewart and so many other great names who work for Sandals. I ended my career there as director of sales back in 2018 I loved every moment of it, loved every moment. And I've seen the transformation in my 13 years there while I was with Sandals. So, you know, when I was there was Jamaica, Antigua, St. Lucia, the Bahamas, Turks and Caicos. And then since then we've had Barbados, we've had Grenada, we've had Falke and all the other ones that you hear coming out, coming soon, soon come. Um, You hear all of that, but he really has transformed the Caribbean. So I would love to get your thoughts on that. Beautiful article, by the way. Thank you, uh, Nicole. Thanks for that. I appreciate it. And um, Mr. Stewart created a legacy that is almost beyond description in global hotel hospitality and certainly in Caribbean hospitality. Um, most of all, as a Jamaican, you know, he infused mm-hmm. the spirit and the, uh, the can-do attitude of the Jamaican people into his product. And... Um, it resonates in so many ways today through individuals like yourself who populate our industry. There are so many of the top professionals who came through, worked for Sandals, worked with Sandals, yes. were trained by Sandals, and have gone on to global prominence in, in yes. hospitality through the training of, and the vision of this one man um, mm-hmm. who started as just another Jamaican you know, entrepreneur, right. a small time Jamaican entrepreneur Selling who air really conditioners. just wanted to work really hard. Selling air conditioners right. and not from a wealthy background, certainly. And, you know, and was just out there to use the God-given talents he had to advance himself and his country and then ultimately this industry. Right. Um, he created something that is uh, that that endures to this day and um, just wanted to recognize that. I remember when I first started covering sandals and hospitality, as we talked, I covered cruises a long time before that. I was certainly familiar with Mr. Stewart. But when I joined um, Travel Agent Magazine at the time in the early 1990s, mm-hmm. sandals was maybe number two, maybe number three. Super Clubs was a much right. bigger company. It seemed oh, like that. Oh, my was, gosh. You're going you way that? back. <laughs> you're going way back. Yeah. And sandals <laughs> was kind of, eh, you know. Little did we know, <laughs> Sandals was going <laughs> to blow past everyone else 
and continue to grow and grow and grow in prominence and in stature and in importance and in profitability and all those kinds of things. And it was because Mr. Stewart was a hands-on guy, Mm -hmm. as you know. He was walking around his resorts talking to everybody. He had that Jamaican characteristic of no one's above or below you. We're all Jamaicans, you know, and he talks to the the guy who sweeps the floor Mm -hmm. to the guy who who purchases his alcohol. You know, I mean, everybody is part of the chain. He gave everybody a sense of that value and a sense of we're a team and we're together trying to make something happen. My wife, a Jamaican, worked for Sanders. And you know what? Yeah. The, the whole the whole teen situation, that's one lesson, um, one of the many lessons that I have learned with my time with the company in watching how Mr. Stewart walks around the property and walks around the room and he will acknowledge everyone with a smile, with a head nod. And if he sees you over there, there I have never experienced that. Hey, you come here. Excuse me. If he does, he'll call you by a name. If he doesn't know your name, he'll say, hey, darling, come hey, here. Daughter. Right. There is a tear. There's a term of endearment. There's something there's some form of comfort level is, you know, that, and, I, and I love that. I love being able to address people by their name and or asking their name or finding some other way than saying, excuse me, you know, to be able to have a conversation with them. Um, love that. He also taught me to dream big, to dream big in everything that I do. And, and you're right. Started out small, but with a very, very big dream. And in the way, have made not just a name um, for himself, but a name for a Caribbean resort, a Jamaican resort, and a name for Jamaica. And I'm going to tell you, you know, you know how us Jamaicans are super proud about things, right? Like, <laughs> you, can't, you can't make our heads any bigger than it is right no. now. <laughs> <laughs> You said it, not me. (laughs) I said what I said, Brian. I said what I said. But, but, you know. (laughs) I'm married to a Jamaican, I told you. So, you know. (laughs) Exactly. You're married to a Jamaican, you know. But, you know, on a serious note, though, Sandals is is a worldwide brand. It's not just a Jamaican brand. It's not just a Caribbean brand. It's a worldwide brand. It has set the stage, set the tone, written the script for many hotels, for many sales teams, for many staff training programs. I mean, it reminded me when I first uh, came out of college, I did my one year, I did an internship, the college program at Walt Disney World. And I got my very first job before I even left college. That's straight, right? I got my very first job before I left college. And one of the reasons they hired me is because they said they saw, they didn't even go any further. They saw Walt Disney World on on my resume and that was it, right? I feel the same way about sandals, seeing sandals on your resume. And you're right. People who've worked at sandals have gone on to do countless great things. Right. And many companies have just swept them up because they've been sandals trained. That ingrained training is it's beautiful. It's beautiful. You make such a great point because that is that is 100 percent accurate. Uh, Mr. Stewart dreamed big. He dreamed right. big, too. And uh, he established that he nothing was out of his um you know, out of the realm of possibility, things that other people would never try and would never do. He was mm-hmm. always willing to try and always willing to do. And I'll tell you, he was not, he wasn't like, as you know, he wasn't even universally loved by everyone because no. he was known for dealing really tough with right. destinations. He would demand concessions from destinations. But you know what? I think if for that reason, people respected him even more because he was mm-hmm. no pushover, you know, mm-hmm. but 
But can I tell you, I honestly the character talk about was genuine. So I mean, it was genuine. It wasn't. It wasn't put on or anything that was genuine. So you know, it all works. It it does, and I wish many Caribbean destinations, many Caribbean companies, in taking their place in this world, would ask for a lot more, and put their feet down for a lot of things. Because, you know, there's this, there's this mindset of being from the Caribbean, which is a great mindset of feeling all a part of one, you know, out of many one people. Like we're just this people. We're just stronger together. We're, we're this tiny region that we tiny. I'm doing air quotes, folks. You can't see me, but there's, we're this tiny region of people, but we have, we have big dreams. And I believe that to be properly placed on the tourism map or any other map, even if it's a tech map that we want to be placed on, I wish many entrepreneurs, many country leaders, uh, region leaders will take a page from Mrs. Stewart's book and step on more toes. I really believe that we could be a greater region because of that. Part of the reason he accomplished what he did was because of exactly what you're talking about. And I, right. I, I couldn't agree more. Love that. Love that. And on that note, Brian, it has been lovely, lovely to have you here. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. And why don't you tell our friends where they can find you online? Oh, that's very great of you. Yes. Uh, Thank you, for Nicole. Thank you for having me. I mean, we could talk for about two hours and we still have more to talk about. But uh, (laughs) you can find me on Twitter at B Major Traveling. That's my Twitter handle where I kind of push out news and information and talk (laughs) and my opinions. (laughs) But also on Instagram at Brian Major Brooklyn. Brian Major, actually Brian Major, B-K-L-Y-N. And you can also, I'm an editor for TravelPulse.com. Travel Pulse, like the pulse uh, in your body, TravelPulse.com. I'm the managing editor for Digital Guides in the Caribbean. So, you know, as Nicole mentioned, I, I write there frequently. And I, I do some other uh, writing for travel, hospitality. But that's where you can meet. And Nicole, always yes. a pleasure to, to be with you. Always, always. And I will put all of that in the show notes. So thank you for spelling it out. But folks, you can just go to the show notes and find it there. And it's one with one simple click. You can find Brian on Twitter as well as on Instagram. And then all the all the additional information will be there, too. All right, Brian, thank you again. I will see you around. Take care, folks.